So Nehemiah chapter 2, verse number 1, we're going to be looking there. And we're going to be looking here because today we are concluding our series, C4 Engaging Culture. Now, if you are new here or you haven't been here in the last couple of weeks, you might be wondering, well, what is that all about? What is C4? And it came about because of a question that, that, I, that I've thought about for a long time. And it's just a simple question. I'm sure that you think about it in your own life as well. And it's this. Does what I do really make a difference? Um, and, and, and is how I am living, what I am a part of, is it really making an impact where I can say, well, I'm involved in this area, I am serving here, and it is actually making a difference. Now, that is the, the question I ask about my own life. It's a question I ask about the church as well. And I think a lot of times there are uh, just, you know, the church in general can ask that same question. And I think a lot of times the church in general will say, you know, when it comes down to it, if we're looking at the bottom line, it really doesn't seem like we're making that much of a difference. That, it, you know, that we're really not making that much of an impact. And so the question is, why is that? And I think one of the reasons why is because oftentimes as a church and as believers, we forget why we're here. We forget what our purpose is and what the mission is that God has given to his people. Now, now, what is the mission that God has given to his people? And it's fairly clear when you look into the scripture, God gave a mission to his people that we are to be a light that shines for God in this world. Jesus said in Matthew 5, verses 14 and 15, you, speaking of Christians, you are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand. And it gives light for all who are in the house. So we want to be a light as Christians and as a church that shines for a real simple reason. Because we believe that Jesus matters. We believe that Jesus makes a difference. We believe that Jesus transforms people. We believe that he rescues people. And so if we really believe that, then one thing we want to do is we want to be involved sharing the message of this good news of who Jesus is. Now, that sounds good. The Bible says we are to be a light that shines. So, so how do we do that? Well, we, we decided last year, we said, we're going to do it we're gonna, by engaging culture. And we're going to do it in four different areas of ministry for us as a church. We said, we're going to engage our culture in ministry in our communities, on our campuses, in our care ministries, and then also in our civic responsibilities. Now, we've covered the first three. So today, we're going to be focusing in on, as a church, our mission is also to engage our culture in our civic responsibilities as a church and as Christians. Now, that might seem kind of strange to us. Because whenever we talk about civic responsibilities, typically what we think about is we think about politics and being engaged in that way. And of course, we all know that Christians are not supposed to care about any of those things or be engaged in any way. Now, I'm being facetious there. Because what the Bible says is that we are to be engaged, we are to be a light in all areas of life. And that includes in our ministries, on our campuses, in our communities, in our care ministries, but it also includes in our civic responsibilities. So the question is, how do we do that? Well, today in our passage of Scripture, we're going to see a man named Nehemiah. 
And Nehemiah was a man who made a decision that he was going to be a light, that he was going to make a difference in his civic responsibilities because he knew that was the calling that God had given him. And I really believe this. I believe we have the same calling from God as well. And, but it all comes down to the nuts and bolts of everything. Well, how do we do this? Well, that's why we're going to look in Nehemiah chapter 2. So if you're there, I want to give you a little bit of background information so this text hopefully will make more sense to some of you who might not be familiar with this. Uh, the Jewish people, I'm going to give you a history lesson here so I know you all are excited. Uh, the Jewish people had been taken into Babylonian captivity. And they, they, remember Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar came in, he went into Jerusalem, absolutely obliterated the temple. But 70 years later, they've been in exile for 70 years, the Persian Empire came in, 530 B.C., you might want to write this down for your notes in case you're on Jeopardy, 530 B.C., the Persians came in and kicked out uh, the, the Babylonians. Now the king was a guy named Cyrus, Cyrus saw the Jewish people and he said, I've heard about you guys, why don't you return back to your homeland and rebuild your temple? So they're all excited, so they'll get a, a bunch of them, go back to their homeland, they begin to rebuild the temple, but not everybody's excited that they've returned. And so after they'd only laid the foundation, because of all the oppression they were facing, they quit. They quit building the temple, they let it lie dormant, then they got enough courage up. Sixty years later, they finally rebuilt the temple, but the walls that surrounded the city of Jerusalem were absolutely shattered. And so that the, the, the people, when they came to worship, it wasn't really safe. They had attacks that would come in. Well, a man named Nehemiah, he heard about this. And Nehemiah was like, something needs to be done. Something needs to be done in order to rescue God's people so they can worship in the place that God gave us. So that our people can be saved from outside attack. We need to rebuild. And it's here that Nehemiah made a decision. I'm going to be involved in rebuilding a place that has been burned out. Now I think this is where it applies to us today as a church. I believe as we look in our culture today, as we look in our society today, y'all, our, our gates, just like, just like in this story we're going to read in just a few moments, our gates in our country, they are burned. The walls in this country, the foundational walls of this country have been broken down. And so the question is, what are we going to do? Now when I look, and just because I like to think that in general, that I, I feel like I'm kind of a, kind of a happy person with some, with some positive takes on life, I, I'm just going to be honest with you. When I look into the future, I don't see a whole lot of national healing on the horizon for us, just speaking humanly, right? Because that's just that's sort of how I feel. Things I, I look at things, I think things don't look all that good. As a matter of fact, I see us becoming more and more like the world, more and more secular, more and more like Europe. I read an article in the Guardian paper about three weeks ago. It's a, a British paper. Here, they did a study concerning religion in Great Britain. This this blows my mind. There were more people who identified in Britain as having no religion as opposed to those who said they are Christian. 48% of that country says they have no religion. And I look at that and I think, how is that possible? Well, here's how it's possible. When the light does not shine, there is darkness. And people naturally live in darkness. And I believe 
Now that is why we have a calling as a church. If we are going to minister and we're going to engage culture, we have a responsibility to engage civically. So, so what's the process of shining the light in our civic responsibility? We're going to look in our text today and we're going to see a few processes. And the first process to shine the light in our civic responsibility begins with this. We have to be willing to act. And not just willing to act, but willing to act at the right time. Now, in verse number 1, it says, During the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was set before him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I'd never been sad in his presence. This is Nehemiah talking. And so the king said to me, Why are you sad when you aren't sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. And Nehemiah said, And I was overwhelmed with fear. Now again, a little bit of background, Nehemiah, his job was he's the cupbearer for the king. Now at this time, Persia was the, they were the world power at this time, that they were the lone world power. Artaxerxes, that meant that he was the most powerful man in all of the world. And Nehemiah was his cupbearer. Now that was his job. What, is, what kind of a job is that? Hey, what do you do for a living? I'm a cupbearer. Okay, here's what a cupbearer did. The cupbearer, before the king would eat or drink, he would take a drink and he would eat the food of the king before he ate. For the reason of just to make sure the king would not get poisoned. So Nehemiah, obviously if you want him to be your cupbearer, it's a guy. If you're a king, you want to trust the guy, right? I mean, if if he's going to be your cupbearer, it's a guy that you want to be in that position who's going to be willing to lay down his life for you. That's who Nehemiah was. Nehemiah was a Jewish exile. His family had come into exile years before, but now he has risen up. He is serving in the court, and as he's serving in the court, he usually, just like everybody else, he would get news first before the rest of the society did because of his position. So so what news did he get? Well, in chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, Nehemiah said, When I was in the fortress city of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, arrived with men from Judah, and I questioned them about Jerusalem and the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile. Remember, they had already gone back home. They would rebuilt the temple. And they said to me, the remnant in the province in Judah, or Jerusalem, who survived the exile, they are in great trouble and disgrace. Jerusalem's wall has been broken down, and its gates have been burned down. Now that was devastating news to Nehemiah because his heritage is he's Jewish. That is, his, that is his ancestral homeland. And whenever he heard this, he wanted to do something about it. He wanted to make a difference. Now if he's going to make a difference though, it had to begin with him to have a willingness to get involved. A willingness to act. But not just to act, but to make sure that he acted at the right time. He had to act at the right time. Now, I think this is generally where many people miss it on being involved. Uh, One, we miss it on being involved in making a difference in this. Uh, We see something that needs to be done, and we look at it, and we think, that will take effort. You know, I'm going to let somebody else step up to the plate. I'm going to let somebody else do that. I'm not going to get involved. Now, I really believe that's in a large part of what's happening in our culture today. It's because a lot of us as Christians, we said, we're just going to leave that to somebody else. We're not going to get involved. We're going to step back, take a seat in the back, and everybody else can deal with that, but I'm not going to do it. Okay, another approach we can have is this. I'm willing to act. And that's good. I'm willing to act. But 
a lot of times we get in trouble in that we are willing to act, but we don't really think about what we're doing. We don't have a strategy, we don't have a plan, we just jump in there and we see, we see that there is a nail that needs to be driven and so we grab a sledgehammer and try to drive in a little nail. And we cause more problems than there were than before we decided to get involved. Well, that's not, that's not what Nehemiah did. Chapter 1 tells us that he found out about the condition of his fellow countrymen in the month of Chislev. I'm sure you're familiar with that month. It's on the Jewish calendar. Uh, that month is actually probably like around December says that he was able to act on this information in the month of Nisan, which is April. So he found out the information, and he sat on the information for four months before he ever did anything. Now, why did it take him four months to do something? You know, you get information, you know, you're supposed to hop on it. Well, the, the simple answer is this. The time wasn't right. He had the information, but the timing wasn't right. You see, if he was going to make a difference, he had to talk to the king about it. But in this day, in this culture, you didn't just approach the king whenever you wanted to. Um, as a matter of fact, if you did approach the king without his permission, there were was, there was some serious consequences that came from that. Uh, we know this because of Esther 4.11. It said, all the royal officials and the people of the royal provinces know that one law applies to every man or woman who approaches the king in the inner courtyard and who has not been summoned by the king. It's the death penalty. It says only if the king extends the gold scepter will that person live. Now, if the king hasn't invited you into his presence, are you, I mean, you're going to walk in and say, I know that he can chop my head off, but I, I, this has really been bothering me. Okay, so timing's not good, Right? So he hasn't approached him yet. Not only that, but whenever you came into the king's presence, you were always to be in a good mood. This is another cultural thing that we miss a lot of times because we're Westerners. So when you enter into the king's presence, you were always to be happy. Because if you weren't, then it was an offense to the king. Because the king is, I mean, he's the most powerful man. Why wouldn't you be happy? We learn this, of course, from Esther 4.2. It says, The law prohibits anyone from wearing sackcloth, which is a sign of mourning, from entering into the king's gate or the king's presence. Now, when you have those kind of rules, typically that would cause us to step back and say, you know what, I don't think I'm going to get involved. You know, because if I get involved, then, I mean, there are some risks that are involved. But Nehemiah was willing to act for a simple reason, because he had a burden for his people. You know, a, a burden is always the motivation for the action of people the action of a church. So here's the question for us. Do we have a burden for people? You know, do we have a burden? Do you have a burden? Does this church have a burden for people who don't know Jesus? Do we have a burden as Christians and as a church for the truth to be known? Do we have a burden that whenever we see our, our friends and our, and our government and our people going down a path that leads to death, do we have a burden to intervene and to interact? You see, if, if we don't have a burden for people, then more than likely, we're not going to do anything, right? If we really don't care, then we're not going to get involved. Well, Nehemiah was so burdened that it noticeably affected him. In verse number two, it says the king knew something wasn't right with Nehemiah. So he asked Nehemiah, Nehemiah, what's wrong? And here's what I noticed. Nehemiah had an answer for him. He saw the king interacting with him. Remember, he can't just approach the king, so the king talks to him. 
And when the king talks to him, he's like, this is my chance. The time is right for me to interact. The time is an opportunity for me to stand up for God. Now remember, he's been sitting on this for four months. Nehemiah didn't try to force things. He just waited. He waited until the time was right, and when the time was right, it was then that he acted. You know, timing is everything, right? And, ju- and just about everything. Um, I remember there was a, I don't remember it, but there was an article that was written years ago by, uh, about Roger Maris. Y'all baseball fans, Roger Maris? He's the, the, the guy who hit more home runs than anybody in a single season without steroids, okay? So he did he 61. And they, they interviewed him about it, and they said, you know, how were you able to do it? And it was interesting to listen to him talk. He, he, did not, he did not talk about his hand-eye coordination. He did not talk about his strength or his bat speed. Here's what he said. He said, the reason why I'm able to hit so many home runs is because I put the bat on the ball at just the right time. It's all about timing. You know, whenever you put the bat on the ball at just the right time, it's then you can hit a home run. The same thing's true for us. When we put the bat on the ball at the right time, y'all, we can do more things than we realize. We can make a bigger difference than we realize whenever our timing is right. So the question is for us, is the timing right for us to act? Have you ever experienced in your, in your life when the timing was right? You know, it's interesting to see big events that occur in your life, and then you, you can, when you just kind of step back and see how they happened, and you examine of how the timing of, of everything went down for that, for that momentous event to happen in your life, it's really neat to see that it was. It was all about timing. Um, I, can, I can think of many examples. I'm sure that you can think of many examples. Um, last, ju- last July, Emily and I spent our, our, celebrated our 25th wedding anniversary. And then when you step back, you think, how did we meet? It's kind of interesting to see how all that happened. Um, after I graduated from high school, I was going, I'd been accepted to Baylor University, already paid money to go there. It was July before school started, and I changed my mind. My parents were excited about that. So I changed my mind in July, and I went to Furman. So I just went up the road. Okay, now, Emily was a year behind me, and she had thought about going to TCU, but she changed her mind and went to Furman. Okay, so the two d- decisions that we made on our own, but they happened, depending on who you ask, I guess, at the right time. And so whenever that happened, and then our paths intersected, and it sort of changed our lives. Okay, now I look at Nehemiah. Nehemiah decided to act, and he acted at the right time, and when he did, it was to be an event that was to change the history of an entire nation. Because Nehemiah acted at the right time. So what, what's the process of civic responsibility for us? Well, we have to have a willingness to act at the right time. But here's another process for civic responsibility that we can practice. And that is that we have to have a reason to act. Now, if we're going to act, then we have to know why we're going to act, why we're going to be involved. Verse number three, Nehemiah gives the answer for him. It says, he replied to the king, may the king live forever. Why should I not be sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? So Nehemiah is getting ready to act. Well, why is he going to act? Well, he's going to act because of verse number three. Verse number three again, he says, why shouldn't I be sad when the cities where my ancestors are buried lie in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? King's like, why are you sad? He tells him why. Now I look at this 
And my first thought is this, Nehemiah, why are you griping? I mean, you don't even live there. It's your ancestors live there. You live in the court of a king. You got a good job. There is no reason for you to be whining about anything. But here's, here's where, where you have to give some credit to Nehemiah. He didn't see his position as an end in itself. He saw his position as a tool that God was going to use in order to bring glory to the name of God. You know, that, that, that is true for you and me as well. This life is not about you and it's not about me. For followers of Jesus, it's not about us. This life is not about me trying to see how much comfort I can get. About seeing how much stuff that I can accumulate. It's not about me. My life has been given to me. My life has been bought by Jesus that I might bring him glory. 1 Corinthians 10.31 tells us this. It says, therefore, whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, you are to do everything for God's glory. I am to use my talents and my giftedness in order to promote Jesus. To follow his commands. That's what Nehemiah did. He put aside his personal preferences and he looked to use his position to take care of God's business. So he wanted to use his position to get the attention of the king that God's name and God's people might be lifted up and honored. So here's the question. Well, how do I do that? You know, how, how does Village Church live for the glory of God in our civic responsibility? Well, we're supposed to let our light shine. Now, that sounds good. I don't even know what that means. I'm kind of literal. I'm like, I don't have a flashlight on me. I know, how, do I, how do I shine my light? Well, here's how we shine our, our, shine our light. We, we shine our light by the way that we live. By, by making a decision that I'm going to live according to the commands of Jesus and not according to me. I'm going to stand for truth, even when maybe the majority of people don't agree with it. That doesn't mean I need to be a jerk. Now, I can be a jerk, but that's not what I'm supposed to be. I'm just going to stand for truth regardless of what the world says. The world might agree with me sometimes, but the other times they're not going to agree with me. But you know, I'm going to stand with God over everybody else. I'm going to support biblical concepts. I'm going to support life because our God is a God of life. I'm going to support freedom because that is a biblical concept. I'm going to support the laws that are given to us in Scripture that are a part of our laws. You know, do you realize this? You know, the laws that we have, you know, the, the basis of our laws come from the Ten Commandments. Now, a lot of people don't know that because we've become so secularized now. And, and what's happened now is that many times we see that Christians are, are being stymied. And you're like, well, that doesn't happen here. You know, let, me, let me share with you an interview I saw. Or it's actually, it was a Senate hearing with Bernie Sanders, and he was talking to the man who was up for deputy director of the Office of Management and Budget, and Bernie Sanders said, I cannot support you for this position because of what you've said. What did he say? He made a tweet to a Christian, a, prof a professor at a Christian college, and he said, and I'm paraphrasing here, he said, those who do not stand with Jesus, who do not follow Jesus, they stand condemned. Okay, now, you might say, well, that sounds harsh. Okay, this is what we teach here every Sunday. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except 
through me. The only way to salvation is through Jesus Christ. And those who do not follow Jesus, the Bible tells us that when we stand in the day of judgment, that there is a heaven and there is a hell. This man, up for deputy director of the Office of Management and Budget, made a tweet to a Christian college and said, basically, I agree. I believe that those who do not stand with Jesus, who do not follow Jesus, are not going to go to heaven. Bernie Sanders said, that is hate speech. He said, that is bigotry. That is not American. Okay, now I see stuff like that, and here's what I think. We better do something. We better get involved, because what we've done is we have left the civic responsibility to the secular world, and guys, we are paying a price for it. Because we have been afraid or we have decided to sit back and be passive and things like this are happening. So, so what are we doing? Okay, so what we did is we, we have a civics team at Villas Church now. Nikki Trawick, um, Kevin Thomas, Michelle James, Brad Lorenzetti. Uh, those, those are the people that are heading it up. So, so what have they done? Well, last year, one of the things they did is whenever we had local, state, national elections, they, they, put, out some, they put out issues. And this, this, is, what, this is what's up, uh, coming up, what's what we're voting for. And they, they want, what they desire, what we desire is for people as Christians, when we vote, we need to be educated. We need to be informed. Now, here's what they're doing this year. They are going to school board meetings at Richland, too. And they say they're tremendously exciting, and it's better than watching movies. And so they're going to Richland 2 school board meetings, not, not to be some, you know, they're, they're not going in there, you know, you know, all, you know, muscled up and looking for a fight. Here's why they're, go, we're go, they're going there, in order to let the, the school board know there is a Christian community that cares about what happens in our schools. Because we need, they need to see Christians there. So here's what you can do. Okay, we have a civics table that's set up outside. Or in the foyer. And you might say, I, you know, I'd like to be involved in some way, to be, to be a support, to stand for the things of God, and to let people in our community who are in places of leadership know, hey, we're here. We care. We, we have a school board meeting coming up in October. If, if you're interested in this area of ministry, go to that meeting with our civics team. Be a part of our civics team. So when you walk out the door, there's a civics team table that's going to be set up out there. It's already set up there. You walk up there, and, and you just sign up. We'll get you some information. We'll let you know when the board meetings are coming up. They happen. Yeah, they happen every month. But it's a, way, it's a way for us to stand as a church and say, as a Christian community, we are here. Now, you might say, well, I think that's a losing cause. Now, I don't think it's going to be worth our time. You could have said that about Nehemiah. Who is Nehemiah? Nehemiah is a cupbearer. He sips drinks and takes little bites of food before the king eats. The king before had said, I want the people in Jerusalem to quit building. Nehemiah comes along and says, we need to do something. And he tells the king. Now that was bold on his part, but the reason why he did it is he, because he felt like God had called him to do, to do it, to do the impossible. Guys, when God calls us to do the impossible, did you know that God makes it possible? Jesus said in Matthew 19, 26, with God, all things are possible. Here's one of my favorite stories, and, and uh, this kind of fits in, but I, I just read the book a while ago, and uh, it's talking about whenever the Hebrew people were getting ready to enter into the Promised Land. Getting, they were going over the Jordan River, and so they all come up to the Jordan River. Remember, they've been wandering around the wilderness for 40 years. They're in exile. They, they, so they're getting, they come up to the river, getting ready to go in, and God says, and it's at flood stage, flood tide. God says, step in the river. 
Okay, now here I am. Okay, now I don't like real fast moving water. I'm thinking, hey God, you know, you split the Red Sea open. Why don't you go ahead and split it open now, and then I'll walk through. Now, that's not what God called for him to do. God said, before I split the river open, get your feet wet. You know, that's us. If we're going to see anything happen, whether it be in our community, our campuses, our care ministries, our civic responsibilities, before anything happens, it, it begins with you and me. We've got to get our feet wet and then we see God move. Mark Batterson wrote about this in the book Draw the Circle. He said at flood tide, the Jordan River was about 200 feet wide. He said that was all that separated the Israelites from their 400-year-old promise, which was the promised land. He said their dream was practically a stone's throw away, but if the priest had not stepped into the river, they may well have spent the rest of their lives on the eastern banks of the Jordan River. And that's where many of us end up spending our lives we're waiting for God to part the river while God is simply waiting for us to get our feet wet. Why hasn't God moved? Because you ain't ever got your feet wet. You never demonstrated faith in him. When we get our feet wet, God moves. So the first process for civic responsibility, be willing to act at the right time, have a reason to act, and this is the final one, be prepared to act. Be prepared to act. Now, I'm going to read to you verses 4 through 6, and then I'll be finished. It says, Then the king asked me, he said, What is your request? So I prayed to the God of heaven and answered the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor with you, send me to Judah and the city where my ancestors are buried, so that I may rebuild it. And the king, with the queen seated beside him, asked me, How long will your journey take, and when will you return? So I gave him a definite time, and it pleased the king to send me. Now, the king saw Nehemiah, and he recognized something wasn't right with Nehemiah. Remember, he's sad. You're not supposed to be sad in the king's presence. And so he's like, Nehemiah, what's wrong with you? What's your request? Now, here's what I noticed. Nehemiah was prepared. What's your request? He had an answer for him. Well, what was his, what was his uh, request? Verse 5. He said, send me to Judah so that I may rebuild it. So the king responds, verse number 6. How long will the journey take, and when will you come back? Nehemiah was ready for an answer. It says he gave the king a definite time. And after he gave him a definite time, we're told that the king was pleased to send him. I love that. He was prepared. He was ready. He knew what he wanted to do. He had an answer for the king. He was ready for this moment. Now, Nehemiah didn't just hear about the problems of Jerusalem and say, I'm going to pray about it. And that was it. Nehemiah said, I'm going to do something about it. Now, praying, he, he, I'm sure he prayed. We know he prayed. The Bible tells us he did. But he prayed and then he acted. You know, it's, it's one thing to talk. It's another thing to do. Everybody, I, everybody in here, for the most part that I know, everybody in here can talk. I know because I've heard a lot of you talk. Right? So we, we all talk. Now, talk's great. It's good to be able to communicate. You know, there is a huge difference between talking and acting. That, that's where the separation comes between great men and just everybody else. Those who don't just talk, but who act. Nehemiah prayed, and then he acted. You know, as, as a church, village church, it, we can't just simply say, I'm going to piously pray for these things and then do nothing. We are to piously pray and then put feet to our faith. 
James 1.22 says, Be doers of the word and not hearers only. You know how we influence people? It's not by saying that, it's not by saying that we love people. It's by loving people. You know how we make a difference in our community? How we make a difference in our civic responsibility? It's not by stepping back and pointing out how sorry everything is. And I'm good at that. That's, that's, not where, that's, not, that's not how you make a difference. Now, obviously, you point out the wrongs when they are there, but then what you do is you get involved in doing the right and standing up for truth and living out your faith by doing and supporting the right things. Nehemiah got involved in the civic process. He was willing to act at the right time. He had a reason to act. He was prepared to act. So what was the result, what was the result of all of this? The walls, Nehemiah ended up becoming the governor of Judah for 12 years. He came back. The walls were rebuilt. When the walls were rebuilt, the Jewish people returned to God's land in droves. And God began to bless the nation. Wouldn't that be cool if that happened here? Wouldn't that be amazing if there was a revival that occurred here? Now, I don't think it does not take a rocket scientist to figure out that we live in a broken place. You know, the way that our, and I'm, I'm grateful for those who work in government, but, it, but y'all, the system's broke. Something's not right. Our values, our beliefs, our God is being ignored and clamped down on year after year after year. What can we do? We can let our voices be heard. We can be involved in the game. We can pray and we can act. We can serve and demonstrate that we care and that we love by being involved. Now how are we going to fulfill our mission to engage culture? Well, we've talked about it. We talked about we're going to do it on our, in our community, being involved in community ministry, being involved on our campuses, by being involved in our care ministries, by caring for people, and then also in our civic responsibilities. We will fulfill the Great Commission, and the purpose that God has given us by being involved in these areas. And my challenge for you and for me is let's pick one of these areas and let's get involved and let's serve. And if it's a civics area for you, when the service is over, please go to the table and say, I want to be involved. What can I do? Heavenly Father, I am, I am grateful that you have given us a ministry. Uh, you have given us uh, the opportunity, Lord, not, not just simply for us to look forward to heaven, but God, to make a difference while we are here so that we can be a light that shines to more and more people so that they too can discover the Savior who lived, died, and rose from the grave that they might experience his salvation and live in heaven as well. God, may we be a church that makes a difference, not because of who we are, but Jesus, because of who you are. We thank you for your amazing grace. In Jesus' name I pray.